Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Fantastic. So you're ready this morning? How many of you genuinely, you kind of go, I'm, I'm nurse-sighted? Nurse-sighted is when you're nervous and excited. You look at the future and go, oh, but at the same time, there's something not up in here, but something down in here that goes, oh. How many people know what I'm talking about? How many of you just go, no, I'm still in the nervous bit? How many of you go, forget nervous, I'm totally excited? There'll be one or two like that for sure. Let's go to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 7. Just one verse only. Jesus is speaking and he says this, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. Obviously, the corollary to this, in other words, looking at it from a slightly different perspective, Jesus is actually telling us that part of our future and part of our world, though we are believers, though He died on the cross and it is finished and Christ is enough for me and all those things that are true and that we said, He's telling us that in our future, there's going to be times where we don't have what we want where there will be lack. That's why he said ask. Because if you ask, it's because you don't have yet what you want. He says, I want you to seek because there are some times in your life that where you will be surrounded by uncertainty, where you'll go, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not sure which way to go. And when I think about that and realise that he tells me to knock because many times in life I'm not going to discover every doorway to be open, but rather I'm going to knock and discover that there are doors that seem locked to me. He's telling me that my life is not going to be like I'd like it to be. I want a life where I'm surrounded by abundance, where I've always got plenty, where I always know everything that needs to be known and every door is always open. That's the kind of life I want. I want, well, I don't want an easy life, but I sure don't want a hard one. I want it to be, you know, like I want to pray and just God just goes, Psh, you know, there it is. Oh, you know what I mean? Am I the only person who wants that or um, some of the rest of you here? Yeah, I get that. Online, I'm sure you're the same. And Jesus is actually saying to me, don't worry about the times when you don't have and you don't know and you can't see past what looks like a wall. He's telling me that I need to ask. He's telling me that I need to seek. And he's telling me that I need to knock. In other words, lack and ignorance or unknowing or uncertainty and those things that seem close to you. Jesus is saying, don't stress out on all the stuff you don't have and you don't know and you can't see. He's saying, if you will trust me, I'm going to help you. Most of us get paralysed by lack in our life. Life with God is certain. But it's not automatic. I wish it was. I wish I could tell you that you never need to press into God. 
but you do. I think about this a lot because the early church got birthed out of a 10-day prayer meeting. 10 days. Most people can't pray more than 30 seconds. And if God doesn't answer straight away, they change the will of God. They decide for themselves that God mustn't admit it that way. In other words, we, we live in a space where if it's not instant, we somehow rather think there's something wrong. And yet Jesus is saying to us, guess what, folks? Guess what, Christian leader? Guess what, Christian? Guess what, follower of Jesus? There's going to be times in your life when you as a person are going to say, I don't have it. I can't see it. And I don't know it. And he's saying, when you get to that space, instead of throwing your hands up in the air and saying, oh, no, this is terrible, why don't you start to ask and start to seek and start to know? Don't be perturbed by lack or uncertainty around your life. It's just time to ask. Here's a verse that you probably never, ever heard before. It's Proverbs 25 and verse 2. It says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the honour of kings or the glory of kings is to search it out. In other words, Jesus tells us that there are some things that God doesn't make easy to find. This week I watched three men down in the bush, the scrub, the paddock, the forest, the field, whatever language you use where you're from. In Australia we call it the bush. And I watched three men with metal detectors and they were going up and down all over the place. Now there used to be a homestead quite near where that park now is. And so I went up to one of them because I'm Australian. We talk to everybody. We just say g'day, even to people we've never met and we'll never see again. G'day. Doesn't mean anything. It's just because Aussies are friendly. Amen. G'day. There you go. We can walk down the street, never seen them before, never see them ever again. G'day. And we just do that. Isn't it great? And uh, so I went up to these guys and I said, g'day. And the guy looks up and he looks up to me and I said, have you found anything? He said, oh, yes. He said, I found an 1893 dog registration tag. <laughs> and I'm kind of thinking, I didn't even know they registered dogs in 1893. He said, I found four 1890 Japanese coins. I'm going, how would they get there? But, you know, I've walked down through that paddock, I don't know how many times, and I've never found a, a Japanese coin. I've never found a dog registration tag apart from the one around Lola's neck. I've never seen them ever. And yet these guys went looking for what was concealed. And the Bible says that God conceals something. He's not hiding it so it can't be found. He's putting it concealed so that only those that are diligent in looking will find it. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before swine. Can I Listen, I'm saying this because I want you as a believer not to give up at the first sight of no. I want you not to give up if things get tough. I don't want you just laying down and, and saying, okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. Just because you strike an obstacle or a, a speed bump on your road. I want you to be the kind of person who says, God, you told me to ask, I'm going to ask and keep on asking. 
God, I'm going to seek and keep on seeking. Lord, I'm going to knock and one of these walls is going to turn out to be a door in Jesus' name. Well, the Bible tells us that He's made us kings and priests, so every single one of us has the honour of asking and seeking and knocking. I believe that God is not testing anyone's patience, but He certainly is proving our desire. And I'll use the word prove there in the same way that it's used if you're making bread. When you put all the ingredients together and then you began the kneading process. And then you need it, but after you need it, K-N-E-A-D, after you need the dough, you then set it aside to prove. If you don't do that, you end up with a rock instead of a loaf of bread. You set it aside. It's called proving the dough. And you set it aside to prove it in order that it can grow and become tasty and flavoursome and useful. I don't believe God is testing my patience. I don't think the Lord's up there saying, let's see how long they can hang on. Let's see how desperate that believer is. I don't think that he's a good, good father. The Bible says, Luke 11 verse 13, If you men being gifts, uh, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask? So I know he's not kind of hanging me out. He's not trying to delay until I get to breaking point, but he is going to prove my desire. Last week I spoke about Gideon, about his willingness to become willing and to stand. We read the beginning of Gideon's story where he's convinced that his lack determines his future, that what he doesn't have, didn't know and couldn't see meant that he could never succeed, he could never change. He tells God himself, you know, if God was really with us, my life wouldn't look like it does right now. I'm convinced I'm never going to become anything. Look at what my life looks like. You know that the devil will use the lack in your life to tell you that you can't change. You lack in character. Maybe some of you hear it's patience that you lack and frustration is building and building. Maybe it's just a lack of wisdom you just don't know and this cloud of ignorance and uncertainty that surrounds your life. And the devil uses all that to tell you your life is definitely on the downward trail. You're never going to change. Your marriage will never be any better. Your kids are never going to be any good. And the enemy uses all of that stuff and tells you all of that and, and the result of it is anxiety and fear. Right around the world, right now, people are stressed out like never before. Not stressed out by a direct threat, but stressed out by what they don't know, don't have and can't see. And right around the world, anxiety is at peak levels in people's lives. Governments recognise it. The devil uses all that stuff to say, listen, forget about everybody else. Can I tell you right through this whole season, we as a church just keep on saying, what can we do to help? What can we do to be a blessing? Why? Because we refuse to become, you know, the, the go into the bomb shelter, as it were, of God. 
just shatter everything down. Say, let's just look after number one. Let's just care for ourselves as a church continuing to sow and to invest and to become a blessing. Why? Because the, whatever the enemy does, you almost always should do the opposite. If he wants to shut you down, find a way to reach out. If the enemy wants to shut your mouth and make you silent, find a way to be a witness and a blessing and an encouragement. Whatever the enemy's trying to do, let's go in the opposite spirit to that and do something different. So we spoke last week about Gideon and about the start. And then we spoke about the end, the fact that he ended up so brilliantly. He ends up a great success and a hero to all the people. But today I want to take you to the turning point of Gideon's life. What was the thing that changes this timid, weak, fearful man of no influence and no ability and no experience into somebody that everybody applauds and actually comes to him, Judges 8, and says, we want you to rule over us. This guy that had no influence becomes the person they want to lead them. What's the turning point? Judges chapter 6, verse 17. He's had all the dialogue with the angel. Let's read verse 17. Then he said to him, so he is Gideon saying to him, capital H, if now I've found favour in your sight, show me a sign that it's you who talk with me. Don't depart from me, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering and set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come back. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket, he put the broth in a pot, brought them out to him under the terebinth tree and presented them. The angel of God said to him, take the meat, the unleavened bread, lay them on this rock, pour out the broth, and he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that of his hand, touched the meat, the unleavened bread, and the fire rose out of the rock, consumed the meat, the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Just seeing if you follow. Now Gideon perceived that this was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Ah! That's the last of the Lord God. For I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Don't fear. You will not die. This is the turning point because after this, Gideon finds the courage to go and cut down the pagan worship grove above his father's house. Then he finds the courage somehow or other to summon all of Israel and they come. Then he's got the courage to allow God to prune them from 30,000 down to 300. Then he's got the courage to go up with 300 men against an army that is without number of the Midianites and to see a great victory. This is the turning point. This is the moment that gives Gideon a different perspective. Remember that up until this point, Gideon has been focused on what I don't have, what I don't know, and what I can't see. And those three things have occupied all of his language and every action that he's taken. And this is the moment that turns it around. And it all comes out of him saying, in this point, if this really is God... Wait here while I bring you an offering. He goes and gets a goat. I once was with a friend of mine. We went to a goat farm. He got out a goat. He was a butcher. And I was there with him while, to use the nice language, he dressed the goat. 
Actually, he dressed it by undressing it. If you get my drift. You know, he, he humanely dealt with the goat and, and carved it up and brought it back home for us to eat. It was an experience. But it didn't happen quickly. It probably took the better part of an hour to do that with the goat. Well, Gideon not only goes and gets one goat, that would take enough time, but he gets an ephah of flour. Now I hear you say, Jeff, what's an ephah? Thank you. What's an ephah? We don't use that anymore. We have kilos. It might surprise you to know that an ephah was a volume measurement and it's 40 litres of flour. Now, I Google it, of course. Google knows everything. It's approximately 1.89 litres of flour to a kilo of flour. That means it's 21.16 kilos of flour is an ephah. There's a couple of other decimal places, but none of you care. It's 21.16 kilos. Now, you might say, what does that look like? I thought you might ask. What does it look like, I hear you say? Which way are you going? Yeah, there you go. Well done. Follow the lead ballet dancer, please, Luke. Will you help me a minute? Thank you. Yeah. What, what is... That is an ephah of flour. By the way, this is all going to hope for this week because I can't eat that many sandwiches. Gideon goes out. See, we think an offering. And Gideon goes in the pantry and says, oh, I think I'll make him a peanut paste sanger. <laughs> what if he likes Vegemite? Peanut butter and jelly for the Americans. Huh? You know what? Or that other thing. What's that thing I eat in Malaysia? It's, it looks like peanut paste or peanut butter, but it's not. It's sweet. I don't know what it's called, but it's nice anyhow. I've had that on toast there a bunch of times. Gideon doesn't do that. Here is a guy who is literally gathered in a wine press, grinding out flour just to get enough, but that's his offering. You know what I think Gideon did? I think Gideon went home and cleaned out the store. I think he went home to the pantry Mum said, what are you doing? He said, I've just met an angel and I'm going to give God an offering. Now, hold some of you here are reaching to make sure your wallet's shut. This is not an offering message. In this church, you'd be saying, oh, please, pastor, please give me another chance to give. But that's not what it's about. We're doing something different. I want you to see that for this guy, something's beginning to shift in the way he thinks about lack around his life. Because instead of saying, I wonder what God would be satisfied with. <laughs> coming to hope this time. Coming to... I'm not going to bite into this because I've got a funny feeling that some of my uh, dental work might need repair if I do, but he doesn't come to God and say, like some people do. That's why I believe something's shifting in this guy's thinking about lack. He's kind of going, if God's in this, if God's called me, 
then everything changes. I'm no longer the least. I'm no longer the nobody. I'm no longer what I don't have and I don't know and I can't see. He says, maybe if God's in it, then I'm stepping into an entirely different realm out of what my limitations are into an unlimited space. Because he doesn't bring to God just enough. He doesn't say, well, you know, you know we can live with a three-legged goat and uh, just bring God a leg. Or... Don't go there. <laughs> he doesn't bring to God a half a bread roll that they had left over from the barbie on Friday night. He goes out and he gets every bit of flour. He's got an ephah of flour and goes whoosh. And he makes the entire thing and turns up with it. The man who's hiding out to eke out a little now gives it all. And here's the other bit is God waits while he does all this. How long do you reckon it takes to make that? He wasn't back in 10 minutes. Listen to me. God is not standing outside your life like this going, God, how long have I been waiting now? Three minutes. That's it. God is patient. He wants our obedience. But God, listen, how long will God wait for you to get ready? Well, with Moses, it was 40 years. 40 years where God goes, I'm waiting. I'm going to get you there. With Abram, it was 25 years from when God first gave him the promise to when he gave birth or Sarah gave birth to Isaac. God is not in the hurry. God's not pressured by everything else around about like we are. God's quick, but he's never in haste. And then get this, this is the puzzling bit about all this. Because you know, if, if I'd been God and you'd come and bought all this offering, I would have said like I'm saying this week, well, praise God, isn't that wonderful? Thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving. Let's give this away to the people in hope, shall we? We'll take it down to them and bless them. But this angel doesn't do that. He does something strange. He takes out the end of his staff and he touches the rock. And fire doesn't come down out of heaven like it does everywhere else in the Bible. Fire comes out of the impossible. Fire doesn't come out of rocks, but it did this day. It came out and it consumed everything that was in that place. And in a world that was surrounded by lack and pressure, Gideon gets the message from the angel of the Lord. This is the message. I don't need what you're offering. You need what I'm offering. Do you know God doesn't need your worship? He's got a heaven full of angels, cherubim and seraphim. All singing, and they sang the song of Moses, talks about all the people that were redeemed. God doesn't need your worship. You need to worship God. Amen. God doesn't need my tithes and offerings. I need to bring them. He says, if you will tithe, I'll open the windows of heaven. All through the Scripture, God wants us to understand something. He's not trying to get something out of us. He's trying to get something to us. Amen. Jesus said, you know, that He was the life of God. The thief comes not but for to kill and to rob and to destroy. He said, I've come that they might have life. 
and have it more abundantly. It's the great exchange. I give to God my sinful, broken life. He says, I will give you my righteousness. He, he doesn't need my talents and gifts. I need the anointing of the Holy Spirit on those gifts and talents. Now, he's not despising his offering. It's not like God was saying to him, oh, this is pathetic. I, you know, I, I, I don't need it. He was trying to say to this young man that there's something bigger than all of this going on. And this is the turning point for Gideon. He meets the angel, the God, who says, you know what, I'm the God of all grace. Do you need grace? He says, come, bring whatever your offering is. God, all I have to give you is my smallness. He says, good, come to me and I'll give you my largeness. He gives him a different perspective. We started with ask, with seek, with knock. Do you need hope today? Then he's the God of all hope. And Gideon has thought that all of his life and everything around about it was controlled by those three things, what he doesn't know, what he can't see and what uh, he doesn't have. He thinks they are the things that are controlling his life. That's why when the angel says, you're going to go and do this, he goes, oh, I can't. And it's the offering and what God does with it that changes his understanding. Because the size of your need doesn't determine the boundaries of God's grace and power. Listen to me today. Every single one of us, no matter who you are, will have limitations naturally around your life. Well, I would, but I'd like to, but I can't. I wish, but it's not possible. And if you understand this principle here, you get a different perspective of lack. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians where he spoke about when he besought the Lord to take away from him the thorn in his flesh. And then he says, but now, he says, I glory in my weakness. Why? Because he realised that every weakness was an opportunity for a display of God's grace. Every problem was another opportunity for God to turn up into his life. Gideon has thought that his limitations prevent him from stepping into what God has. And it's in this space of an offering that God demonstrates to him, that's not your limitation. I've got a different view of lack to the one that you have. I don't know what it would be today that you would say in your life, I need this. Maybe you go, I just need strength, Jeff. I'm, I'm struggling. Or maybe you might say, Jeff, I'm really bothered by something in my past and I can't seem to get rid of the awareness of that. Or maybe it's a fear about the future and you say, I, I just don't know. I'm not sure which way to go. But let me bring you back again to Matthew 7. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. You're either going to allow the lack that's there, what you don't have, what you don't know, and what you can't see, determine what your future looks like or else you're going to say, you know what? I've discovered a different view of lack. I can bring God my best. I can bring God my abundance. I can bring God everything I've got. And he goes, let me show you, I've got more. Because see, I wonder about this. I wonder what Gideon does when mum says, what did you do with our offering? I've just finished reading Leviticus and Numbers. 
It's exciting. None of the offering ever got wasted. The Levites got to eat it. The high priest and his family got to eat it. And Gideon goes home and mum says, where's the offering? The, the angel blessed it. Don't we get it? And he goes, well, actually, mum, you'll never guess what happened. Whoosh. And she goes, what are we going to eat now? And I reckon they went, this is only me thinking this, but I reckon they went into the pantry and everything that he'd taken out, there was now more inside. Whatever your lack is, don't let your lack tell you what your tomorrow can be. Amen? Don't let fear of the future decide for you the limitations. I'll say it to you again, the size of your need doesn't determine the boundaries of God's power and grace in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, we understand who you are a little. We're understanding more and more every day. And thank you for your word that enlarges our understanding of you and what you're about. I pray, God, for men and women in this service, whether they're here in front of me physically or online. And right now, maybe in their business life or maybe in their personal life or their family life, maybe there's a relationship that just looks so, so wrong and nothing they're doing is making it right. There's a huge lack. Maybe their part of industry and the economy is really in dire straits and they're not sure what to do. There's a huge lack there. Or maybe, Lord, it's just something in our character that seems deficient. We bring our best willpower and we haven't been able to overcome. Then, Lord Jesus, we're coming to You. You told us if we would ask, it would be given. If we would seek, we would find. And if we knock, it will be open. So, God, we believe for your perspective on our lack. We see it as an opportunity to see what you're going to do in our life in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Some of you that are part of the service will for sure be like most of us here were at some point in our life recognising there was something missing. I don't know what most people think about church. I'm aware of what some people think about it in Australia. They think a church is somehow rather disconnected from the reality of people's lives. But my Bible says that the common people heard Jesus gladly. He knew what life was like. He really wasn't about the religion that was disconnected and was remote. That's why he said to people, I've come that you might have life. He wasn't addressing the religious leaders. He was addressing everybody. I've come that you might have life. You know, every single week, last week there were many, the week before even more. Every single week there are people that say, I want to have Jesus in my life. Every single week, I want to have Jesus in my life. Oh, I pray you will want Jesus in your life.
maybe religion has turned you off. You might have seen Christians do things they shouldn't do. People that claim to be Christians or maybe you were raised in a space like that. I read stories like that almost every week in our media of somebody rather who has turned off God because of religion. But Jesus is not religion. Jesus is a person who's a saviour. And He says, I stand at the door of your life and I knock and if you hear my voice and open the door, He said, I'll come into you. He's not asking you to join this. He's saying, I'll come into you. All it takes is a yes to God. Some of people say, oh, you make it sound too simple. I go, well, it really is, really. I'm not saying that's the end of it all. I'm saying, no, that's the beginning. And I pray that everyone that says yes will continue the journey of discipleship. That's why we have yes text. If you say yes to Jesus, either sending your yes, your why yes to 488 or going online at yes.metrochurch.org.au, we send you the very next day a scripture and a prayer. It's different every day. You get it for 30 days. And then if you want to, there's like mini ones for 10 days that go for, is a year and a half's worth of Bible and encouragement for your life. You can opt out whatever you like. We're not about pressure. But I pray that you will say yes to Jesus. I pray that you will start a journey with God. 0488 826 392 if you're in Australia. If you're outside of Australia or you'd rather get it via email, yes.metrochurch.org.au. And I want to say congratulations. I know that today there'll be people that'll say yes to Christ. And whoever you are, sometimes there are people in the service. Sometimes there are people that are in the service online. Wherever you are, I want to say well done. I know one day, I might never meet you on earth, but one day you keep walking with Jesus. I'm telling you, one day you and I will meet before Him. I'm looking forward to hearing your story about what God is doing in your life and how He started journeying with you. Amen. Can we give all those people a big hand and just say, you know, we're thrilled. How awesome. That's a lot of bread, don't you think? That's a lot of school lunches right there, isn't it? I love the fact this guy shifts from what can I afford to maybe if I work with God, everything can be different.